A Purveyor of Small Enchantments by Brainy Garen. Read by Brainy Garen. Music by Kevin McLeod. Don't you have anything... bigger? The tall, brawny fellow with the elaborate crest sewn onto his jacket had been browsing through my selection of bespelled knives for ten minutes, examining the display from one end to the other as if he expected the contents to change. I sighed. I don't deal in enchanted swords, young man. My voice was rough cracking in the appropriate places for the old crone I was pretending to be. Everyone expected witches to be ancient hags with warts and wrinkles and gnarled hands. Only certain witches could get away with the motherly angle. The ones I knew who did dealt almost exclusively in matters of the heart and the management of household affairs. Their wisdom dispensed over steaming cups of tea and plates of homemade cherry cake. A witch who dealt in filters and charms and the occasional hexing brew simply couldn't wear comfortable dresses and walk around whistling to herself while the cauldron bubbled. If my customers walked in and saw a nondescript middle-aged woman with a gingham apron and a friendly smile, they'd never trust my advice. Nope, it was widow's weeds and hooded cloaks and theatrical cackling for me. I had an image to maintain. The big fluffy cat, who could often be seen sunning his belly beside the display of suncatcher gems, was pushing it. And I was only able to get away with him because my sweet baby Balthazar was a proper-looking archetype of a witch's cat, his fur the color of spilled ink from nose to fluffy tail, save for the tiny white star on his breast. The young man frowned at me. "'Well then, where am I supposed to get one?' he asked almost petulantly. I fought the urge to roll my eyes and douse him with the remnants of my tea. First sons were all the same. Arrogant, underprepared, and always shocked that the world didn't deliver the object of their quest on a silver platter. Enchanted swords weren't to be bought or bartered for, they had to be won. Usually by some trial of wit or skill, or by wresting it from the grasp of some monstrous creature after you'd dispatched it with another, more ordinary weapon. And even then, most of them were functionally useless, except to wave around to inspire an army, or to hang on a wall as a reminder of past glory. Every thrice-blessed blade of purest gold I'd ever seen had been lying in pieces on a litter beside the mangled remains of the idiot who'd tried to wield it against some creature or other, attacking head-on instead of relying on subterfuge, and winding up smashed to a pulp for their hubris. The only enchanted swords you could actually fight with weren't blessed at all. They were cursed, and there was always a price for using them. Better to stick to more earthly blades. Good steel from a good smith imbued with family honor and a mother's love, rather than trading in empty grandeur. 
First sons never understood this. Second sons rarely did either. Third, fourth, and fifth sons usually grasped the concept, especially if they happened to be the youngest of the bunch. That was as far as I'd gotten in the way of adventuring youth. I'd never seen a sixth son in my shop, much less a vaunted seventh son. With scathing potions and infant mortality being what they were, I was pretty sure I never would, either. Pull it from an anvil or a dragon's horn like everyone else. A blade of my making will serve you better than some gilded bric-a-brac, small though it be, I told the first son. He frowned and turned away to examine a staghorn rack hung with amulets. Balthazar rose from his nap, stretched to his full length, and stalked over to the coat rack for his evening shift of baleful glaring and well-timed yowls. The bell above the door rang as another customer shuffled in from the weather. A girl this time, still young enough for ribbons and rag dolls, but sporting the telltale signs of neglect and despair. Her dress, once fine and serviceable, hung in tatters, and her small hands were red and chapped, likely from scouring pots and scrubbing floors. Her thin shawl was faded and patched on one side. There was a hungry look about her that I recognized immediately. This was a first daughter. Unlike first sons, they tended to be clever and canny and hardworking, often outwitting through kindness and determination that which much lazier adults might never defeat. They always faced danger head-on, and they almost always made it home again. If they didn't carve out a place in some distant kingdom or wind up marrying a prince after rescuing him from some terrible curse or enchanted prison. In some cases, I'd also heard them called true daughters, especially if a cruel stepmother or displacement of some sort was involved. They typically had little to no money, usually only a few pennies or an heirloom sixpence, which I would take, or some trinket like a lock of their dead mother's hair which I would always refuse. Coin was coin, but trinkets were always talismans, and I wasn't cruel enough to let some poor waif face an oncoming challenge without that needful protection. This one looked like she'd just been kicked out the door that very night, which meant I could expect a second daughter or a stepsister within the month. They were always well-supplied, spoilt to rottenness, and without fail, the most appalling little creatures you can imagine. From his perch on the coat rack, Balthazar narrowed his blazing eyes at the girl. His tail twitched. The first daughter put out a hand very slowly, talking to him in smooth, sweet tones. Balthazar deigned to inspect her fingers with his velvety black nose, then stretched into a perfect arch and jumped down, sauntering into the alcove at the back, with his bottle-brush tail held high. With a curious tilt of her head, the girl followed. Oh yes, this one was on the right track. The first son came back with one of the lesser protection amulets, an ashwood wand that I was certain he didn't know how to use, and my second-to-last pair of seven-league boots. I made a show of hemming and hawing my way through the negotiations of payment, letting him think he'd gotten the best of me. I knew the game well enough to empty the pockets of the most miserly of patrons, let alone some rich man's son with his father's gold burning a hole in his purse. First sons were always loaded. 
their father sent them forth with every possible provision, thereby dooming them to failure when their supplies ran out and their own meager wits failed them. He would have done better to take a knife than the wand. I was sorry to lose the boots, too. They hadn't come cheap. But at least his second or third brother could loot them from his corpse and have an easier time of things when it came their turn to go questing. The first daughter left not long after the first son did, he shouldering his journey pack and putting on the boots, she darting from the alcove and out the door like an escaping bird, something small clutched in her hand. I smiled. Balthazar, I chided, reverting to my normal voice and the honeyed tones I lavished on my beloved pet. If you keep trading my hagstones for butter and bits of dried fish, I'm going to have to send you down to the riverbank to find more. Balthazar, back on his evening perch, licked his chops and began to wash his face, as if he hadn't heard me. It didn't much matter. The tumbled pebbles with holes worn through by grit and time were easy enough to find when the river was low. Occasionally, I'd even made them myself with a hand drill and copious amounts of coarse sand. Lesser hagstones didn't carry the same scrying magic as their naturally made counterparts, but they could still be made into embellishments for dowsing rods or lucky charms that would jump and tremble whenever danger was at hand. And after all, despite being a witch, I wasn't completely without principles. I could let one minor charm go for a little girl on her first quest. Poor thing. Maybe it would help her find her way home again. It was getting late. Technically, there were no set business hours, but I liked to close up when sunset approached. The evenings were for working in the garden, then supper, then a mug of something fortifying while I made new charms for the stall, or read a book while Balthazar purred on my lap. In my experience, only the desperate or dangerous, or the desperately dangerous, or the dangerously desperate, came by at night anyway. As I was drawing the curtains and lowering the heavily carved oaken barricade into place across the front door, I thought I saw movement out of the corner of my eye. A flick of my finger lowered the lamp so that I could see properly out of the window. I scanned the darkening courtyard for a late customer or perhaps a loitering crow. Nothing moved. My eyes picked out the familiar shapes of the garden wall, the grindstone, and the low stone circle of the well. It all seemed normal enough, and I would have dismissed it all, except for the way Balthazar had gone still on his perch, eyes and ears trained on the window, whiskers at full attention. A loud clatter made me start out of my skin. The broom I kept by the door had fallen, the sturdy hawthorn bouncing off the wooden planks of the floor with a sound loud as thunder to my straining ears. Balthazar leapt from the coat rack and hid behind my ankles. I could see his already fluffy tail lashing beneath the hem of my skirt. It was three times its normal size. A wry smile turned up the corner of my mouth. I know, fella. Scared me, too. I bent and scooped the cat into my arms. His furry weight was reassuring and warm. Balthazar nuzzled his way under my chin. Don't worry, boy. I won't tell anyone. Your fearsome witch-cat reputation will remain intact. Hefting the cat with one arm, 
I made doubly sure the door was bolted tight, then moved into the back of the shop where a comfortable chair and a good supper awaited us both. And for a while all was quiet. I munched my way through grilled trout and sweet potato pasties, while Balthazar contented himself with a dish of offal and pan drippings on the floor at my feet. There were books to be kept, supplies to be tabulated. The notes in arithmetic were so familiar I could have done them blindfolded, never mind while the other hand occasionally lifted to bring me another bite of pasty. When I finished, I scrubbed my dishes in the wash basin and dried them for the shelf. Some of my contemporaries had ridiculed me for this mundane practice. Imagine, they said, a witch of her standing, well out of her apprenticeship, and still she has so few servitors, and she doesn't even make them do the washing up. Honestly, I would have liked to see any of them try to teach a cat to wash dishes. Balthazar and his white claws, sharp as meat hooks, would swiftly have put an end to any such tomfoolery. My other helpers were even less suited to household chores, and I wasn't about to go and make them into something they weren't. Another witch might have tried. I knew better. After all, I had principles. And, if I might flatter myself, a functioning brain. The sun disappeared behind the trees in the west. A pot of whorehound and licorice root tea simmered on the stove. Cackling is so hard on the throat. Perched in my favorite chair, I sipped the hot brew and examined my notes on a new restorative potion recipe. It still needed testing before I would put it up for sale, but the initial results were promising. There was a stack of parchment scraps on my workbench that was almost big enough to be compiled into a new grimoire. Whether it would be for the kitchen or the cauldron, I hadn't yet decided. Perhaps it would be both. It was full dark when I heard the commotion outside. I paused. My fingers stilled. A leaf of potion ingredients in mid-turn. Once was chance. Twice would be... Yes, there it was again. Trouble. I got to my feet and hurried to the front door, Balthazar bounding at my heels. He sprang onto his perch and glared out the window. His tail lashed. I heard him growl. I peered outside. The yard was still, just barely washed with the first silvery light of the moon. A few leaves scuttled across the cobbled stone walk, like startled pheasants. A few dozen yards up the path, I could see a lantern swinging in frantic, bobbing arcs. Someone was running, almost too fast to see where they were actually going, and heading straight for my little cottage. I had a sinking feeling that I knew who it was. Help! Help! Open the door! As expected, gods above and below, sometimes I hate being right. The first son barreled into my yard, promptly tripping over the low garden wall. The lantern tumbled through the air, smashed against the side of the nearby well, and fell in a spluttering wreck to the ground. By some miracle, its bearer did not share its fate, but staggered on to hammer the door with his fists. I don't give refunds on improperly used magical items, I called through the planks. Somewhere in the forest, something roared. Please! His voice carried the shrill edge of dangerous desperation. Let me in and my father will reward you handsomely. 
Riches, treasure, half the kingdom, anything. It'll be yours for the asking. Wait. This wasn't a first son. This was a king's son. I scrunched up my face and resisted the urge to groan. King's sons were even more obnoxious than first sons. More brazen, more entitled, and even less prone to heeding good advice. They were either entirely successful on the first go, or made an utter wreck of the countryside and got half the inhabitants killed with their stupidity. Walking disasters waiting to happen. And if I had to hazard a guess, I'd say that this one had probably tried to steal something from the giant's keep a few leagues distant, and, like a royal idiot, had gotten caught red-handed. And now here he was, back at my door. Well, the broom had tried to warn me. I sighed in disgust and lifted the latch. All right, come in, then, if you're going to batter the door down. The king's son all but fell over the threshold and scrambled to hide behind my skirts like a terrified child. Balthazar hissed at him. He flinched. I shot the furious feline an amused grin, then calmly regarded our guest. Well, out with it. What did you do? Nothing. He was a terrible liar. It stank on him like weak old Ludifisk. Not a blessed thing. Will you close the door already? Not until you tell me what's coming. If you wait much longer, it'll be here. You'd best explain yourself quickly then, hadn't you? Another roar shook the cottage, and out came the story. He'd used the seven-league boots to carry himself to the nearby keep, as I'd surmised, and the lesser protection amulet had been enough to help him sneak past the less-than-vigilant occupants. And then, in some nebulous way that he deliberately obfuscated, it had all gone straight to hell. He'd wound up running for his life with a murderous giant in hot pursuit, and now here we were. Satisfied, I closed the door. All right, get up, come on. I nudged him with my boot. There wasn't time to pretend to be a decrepit old hag, so I proceeded back toward the kitchen at my usual brisk pace, rather than risk the delay of a theatrical limp. Balthazar yowled behind me, and I heard the prince scramble to his feet. All right, all right, I'm going, mangy beast. You touch that cat, I leave you trussed up in the courtyard with an apple in your mouth. I opened the potion cupboard and removed a few jars. No time to brew anything much. This was going to be rough. I would have to trust the protections I'd built around my home, and whatever additional magic I could conjure at a moment's notice. Wait, you're not old. How can you be a proper witch if you're not old? My unwanted guest poked at one of the wreaths of dried herbs. I resisted the urge to tell Balthazar to take a swipe at his ankles. We didn't have time for a discussion of ridiculous stereotypes. Didn't your mother teach you anything? My age is the last thing you should be worrying about, and you'd better hope I'm a proper witch if you want to survive the night with your skin intact. What are you going to do? First and foremost, I'm going to protect my home. And if that goes well, maybe I'll think about keeping you safe, too. I turned to find him reaching a curious hand into my working cauldron. I wouldn't do that. It bites. It didn't, but it was worth watching the prince's face turn chalky. 
Hastily dumping the contents of the jars into a bowl on my workbench, I stepped out the kitchen door to draw water from the well. The king's son craned his neck to follow my movements. Wasn't there a well in the courtyard? I pulled the dripping bucket over the lip and unhooked it from the rope. Yes. Why do you have two wells? Not important. What's important is that you've brought an angry giant to my house, and now I have to deal with it. I carried the water inside, picked up the bowl, and made my way toward the front. Stay here, and don't touch anything. Outside, the crashing and roaring had grown even louder. The tall oaks around my cottage were swaying like river reeds, and I could smell something rank and gamey on the wind. Giants. You could always smell them before you saw them, and this one probably wouldn't be in a mood to talk. I dipped my fingers into the bowl and flicked them at the stone wall, the fence posts, and the rose bushes surrounding the gate. The rest I poured into the bucket. Then I waited. Soon enough, the giant stomped into view. He stood nearly as tall as the peaked roof of the cottage, his bulky form covered in a rough leather tunic the size of a festival tent, and boots I could have paddled across a country's worth of lakes. And angry? Angry wasn't the word. He was raging. I muttered under my breath, and the rose bushes at the gate quivered. Their thorny tendrils spread over the ground in a thick, spiky carpet. It was hardly a deadly obstacle, but it was enough to stop the giant at my gate. He snorted and paced, fists clenching and unclenching in frustration. Listen, I called out to him. I understand your anger. But your quarrel isn't with me. It's with the king's son, and he's not here. Quietly, I hoped the idiot would obey my orders and stay out of sight. The giant roared, spittle flying from his lips, and took a stomping step toward the cottage, then recoiled as the rose bushes reached up to lash at his ankles. You don't want to do that, I warned. I'd rather not have to fight you, but I'm not going to let you trample my house to pieces. I didn't know what the king's son had done, and for the moment, I didn't much care. This was my home, and I was going to defend it. My fingers flexed. The fence posts creaked. The stones of the garden wall trembled in their mortar. The giant took a single moment to look annoyed, then charged. I threw up my hands and shouted in the old tongue. Stones whizzed through the air and pelted the giant. The fence posts flew from their moorings like blunt spears, bouncing off the leather tunic hard enough to dent an elephant's ribs. The giant grunted, batting the missiles out of the air with slow, heavy-handed swipes. None of it was doing any real damage, but I hoped it would be enough of a deterrent to send him packing. I mean it, I called. Go on your way or go home but you're not coming in. The brute growled and took another step along the wall, looking for a weak point. There was a particular spot that was a foot or two shorter than the rest, a repair I'd been meaning to get to. The giant made for it. Hey, don't you do it. I'm warning you. Despite my shriek of protest, the giant threw one tree trunk leg over the gap, his booted foot coming down squarely on my vegetable garden. A summer's worth of produce was smashed to pulp in an instant. I felt my hackles rise in fury. 
That's it. I seized the bucket at my feet, ran to the gate, and flung the contents as hard as I could. For a moment, nothing happened. The water, tinged green from the potion I'd dumped into it, dripped quietly down the trunk of a nearby tree. Then, the branches began to stir. With a low, sonorous groan, the roots trembled and lifted from the dirt, and the tree took a step. Sensing the new threat, the giant lifted his foot from my poor garden, now little more than a crater in the dirt, and turned just in time to catch a bow of elder square in the face. The battle raged outside my wall for several minutes. The giant was formidable in his own right, but he was no match for the elder tree. Punches and swats that would have felled an ox did nothing worse than shift the bark. Attempting to grapple is pointless when your opponent is rooted to the ground. After several failed attempts, the giant missed on a swing and stumbled. The tree's aim, however, was true, and the blow lifted the giant off his feet and sent him sprawling into the underbrush. I was pretty sure I saw a tooth go flying. I'd have to retrieve that later. Giant's teeth were worth their weight in gold. I told you, I bellowed from the gate. If you know what's good for you, you'll go on home before I wake another tree. I didn't have another bucket of potion handy, but he didn't need to know that. Grumbling and swearing, the giant picked himself up and began limping in the direction of his keep. I waited until he was out of sight before I breathed again. That had been entirely too close. The elder tree settled back into its accustomed place with a shudder and a staccato rustle of leaves. I patted the trunk fondly. Thank you, old friend. I'll bring you rainwater from the barrel in the morning. The tree groaned its approval, then settled back to sleep. I smiled. My city colleagues could keep their nonsense about servitors and household duties. I wasn't about to make a tree do the sweeping. Is it gone? The king's son poked his head out the front door, still visibly pale from the ordeal. Oh right, he was still there. I'd nearly forgotten. Did you kill it? And have to worry about reprisals from other giants and the bother of removing a massive rotting corpse from my front yard? Absolutely not! I left the elder and returned to the courtyard. He's gone home. You should do the same. Balthazar trotted to my side, picking his way through the mess of stones and splintered fence posts. Oh, thank goodness for that! The prince slumped in relief. When I return, I'll make sure my father rewards you handsomely for saving my life. Anything you wish, you have my word. I'm going to hold you to that. Oh, I would make a list. What on earth did you do to make the giant that angry? Make off with his favorite harp? Trick his wife into giving you all their gold? Beat him at a porridge eating contest? Braver now that the immediate threat was gone, the prince scoffed and waved a hand imperiously. It was all a huge misunderstanding. Honestly, when you put a king's son into bed with your seven daughters, especially one as gallant as I am, you must expect that something will happen. It's just understood. A muscle in my cheek twitched. 
Without a word or a sideways glance, I shoved him toward the low stone circle that marked the mouth of the well. There was a brief cry as he tripped, then a very satisfying splash from below. A few epithets were tossed my way before he realized that he wasn't alone in the watery depths. A good deal of screaming followed, sending a flock of blackbirds flapping noisily away from the surrounding trees. Balthazar rubbed against my leg and purred. There are some things, I said, reaching down to pet him, that I simply will not abide. King's son or no. I hope you've enjoyed my story, A Purveyor of Small Enchantments. For more information on my written works, please visit brienegarin.wordpress.com and subscribe to my monthly witchcraft show, Hex Positive, wherever you get your podcasts. Have a wonderful Samhain season, and remember, always practice safe hex.